0: Hey guys, so I am taking a short hiatus from the show to get some more great guests on the show and make sure that I have more great content to keep coming for you guys. But in the meantime, I'm going to be sharing with you my favorite episodes of the show so far, and this is definitely one of them. So enjoy. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host, Rob Jay, and in today's episode, I speak with cybersecurity expert, Jamel Harris. We talk about pen testing mobile apps, app vulnerabilities and exploits, how to protect your apps against hackers, and much, much more. This is not one to miss. Yeah. Quick interruption before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you listening who've left a rating or a review for the show. ...is very much appreciated. And if you like the show and you haven't left a review... ...pause this episode now, open your podcast app... ...and leave a five-star review. Or four, I'll take four stars. The more reviews, the more we surfaced in search results... ...and the more people will find the show. Now about today's episode. This is easily my top three episodes I've recorded so far. I've always been interested in cybersecurity... ...but I never really thought about it... ...in the context of a mobile application. There's the obvious thing which is... ...you know, you need to store someone's data on the device... You encrypt that data when you store it. Super simple. I never really looked beyond that kind of scope, but speaking to Jamal kind of blew my mind a little bit. I don't want to spoil the episode for anybody, so I won't give too much away, but I will say that during this conversation, he talked about one of the more interesting security exploits that he's carried out on a mobile app. So without giving away any spoilers, I'll just drop some keywords. So we're talking a banking application that was trying to implement a apple pay google pay type style setup before those were a thing a credit card that jamal and his team created in order to hack this application by sending a payload from this dodgy credit card to the mobile application via the nfc payment system that they'd implemented that's just a taste of what you're going to be listening to in this episode And if you like it, feel free to share because from what I've seen, there's very little information about that involves mobile security specifically aimed at people that build the mobile applications. So this was a fun one. Now on to the show. So the first thing that I'm actually really interested about is how did you get into cybersecurity? Because from the very little amount of knowledge that I have in order to get into cybersecurity, you have to essentially be hacking for yourself. So how does that work? How did you get into it?
1: So, yeah, I really wish there was a, an answer that was applicable to everyone. And that's kind of one of the, the things with cybersecurity. As you said, it's one of those, those fields where you kind of need to be doing it to get into it, which makes it really difficult. Uh, I, can, I hope one day there's kind of like a defined route, but yeah, for now there isn't. Um, my story is not it's not particularly interesting, to be honest. I think it's kind of the like the classic story. When I was when I was a kid, um, I was playing around on, on computers quite a lot, and it, you kind of it gets to the point where you, you do start to you know understand how things work. And for some people, they are kind of interested in how to break things with that knowledge. And so that, that's kind of what I did. I did. I, you know, had some friends uh, in school just learning about computers, teaching each other things. Uh, then, you know, I went to university, did computer science, and actually started working as a software engineer just out of university. Um, and then I, just, I got a call from a recruiter, said, hey, there's a, a pen test job. And at that point, pen testing and, you know, security testing, ethical hacking was always something I was interested in. But I never really considered it as a, as a job. It was more of a, of a hobby. Uh, and then yes, yeah, spoken to the recruiter. He said there's a few companies, interviewed um with some. Uh some of those interviews uh went really, really badly. <laughs> uh yeah, I uh I you know I, I learned kind of what you should and shouldn't kind of say in, in cybersecurity interviews. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So I, I made the mistake of uh making a joke about the question was uh like kind of like like this, you know, how did you get into cybersecurity? How did you learn this stuff? And I made a joke saying, oh, I don't want to incriminate myself. Assuming that they would understand that it was a joke and I was just <laughs> playing. But I take it very, very seriously. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, then I then, uh, started working as, as a pen tester. That's basically it. So as I said, just, uh, you know, learning that I enjoyed playing with computers as a kid and then finding out one day that, People would pay me to do the stuff that I, I enjoyed to do. Nice.
0: So how, how long into your career from like Pentester did it take to lead up to? Because now you founded your own company, right? I have, yeah. So how long was that process between, you know, getting into cybersecurity to now?
1: So I first started working in, at like a cybersecurity company, I mean, I think around seven years ago or something. So a few years working as a, um, like as a consultant. You know, kind of building up my skills, understanding how to deal with, with, uh, with clients because that's one of the, the big things, right? Learning the technical part is significantly easier than learning the, the client part. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time kind of building up that side of things. Uh, then I started working internally uh, at a company do, helping them with pen testing. That was nice because it was a lot slower paced than, than like consultancy, but it was also kind of boring. Uh, you know, you look at the same kind of technologies every day and then I decided that, you know, the next step, I think, in my career, it, the only thing left really is to, um, is to start my own company. So that's what I did.
0: Nice. And that's been two years now, right?
1: Uh, that's been three years, I think. Three yeah, 20, 2017 we started.
0: So then I guess going from there, so you're talking about pen testing. So like I said, the only thing I know about cybersecurity is what I read in headlines and occasionally... I'll read about you know some software I've got on my computer that I have to uninstall immediately because you know it's, it's a huge problem. So in terms of mobile development, yeah, I guess the first question is how much work do you do with mobile development, or how much work is there in your industry in mobile development even?
1: So there is quite a lot, um, but it tends to be focused on the kind of the high risk things, which kind of makes sense, right? So you know what we don't see a lot of is like mobile games, for example. That's not something we do a lot of a lot of testing for, but but banking apps, you know, fintech, they're, they're the ones that are really kind of, that really are um, actually kind of like heavily tested, uh, security tested. You know, there's, there's a big kind of industry around that. And I've, I've done a lot of work with that in the past, you know, with, um, with some big banks. And now um, we're looking at help, trying to help some of the smaller fintech companies because, you know, the big banks kind of. They're a position where they, they kind of know what they're doing. I find that the smaller fintech companies are kind of struggling to get some of those, those kind of advice and, and knowledge and guidance.
0: So then what is it that, yeah, what is it that you're looking for before, like not specifically at fintech level, but let's say just, you know, app development level, what is it that you're looking for to test? Like how, how do you pen test an app essentially? And what is it, what, what are the holes that you're looking for?
1: So it is different to looking at things like web applications or even infrastructure, you know, when think people think of ethical hacking, you know, it is about trying to kind of break into companies and stuff. But yeah, the apps apps themselves are a bit different. Um I try to think of it from a couple of different perspectives when I'm looking at an app. So I think about what someone can do if they had access to the phone because obviously the phone itself, you know, it has a pin or, or password to keep people protected. But n- not everyone is going to have that. There's no guarantee that the user has that set. So I look at the application, you know, if someone managed to get hold of the phone, if it was unlocked or, you know, someone could be coerced into unlocking it, what could an attacker do? The second thing is, um, what could someone do if they had malware installed on the phone? So there's this big thing that, you know, with malware, sometimes it even gets into the Play Store. Um, You know, what's the kind of worst case scenario there? Because the way that the the mobile phones work is, you know, not everything runs as a high-privileged root user. So any weaknesses in the application itself could really impact, you know, the user's data um, and and the security of like, you know, their their stuff really. Um, and then the third thing I look at is is the data going between the phone and the um, the out to the internet is that secure? You know, is someone able to kind of man in the middle of that or view that data as it's going across? So there are the three main perspectives, and then the final one, depending on whether it's in scope, is um, actually looking at the back-end stuff as well, because obviously, obviously the devices do connect to the internet. They, they connect to a web service. Um, if that's in scope, I, I look at that web API, uh, and the, but then it becomes more of a, a web test. Um, then I, actually, I, I guess I should kind of say as well that one area that is kind of heavily looked at is um, how easily can someone break the client-side controls? Because a lot of these apps, especially with the big banking apps, they put a lot of effort into making these apps harder than, like, hardened, right? So they will use things like certificate pinning or um, they will have obfuscation techniques to stop someone from reverse engineering it uh, or they might have root or jailbreak detection. Um, a big part of what we do is actually trying to see if we can break those security controls because the idea is that they protect the app so that an attacker can't then start to look for these other things. You know, they can't then go to see how their malware works or can they access the web API? So sometimes we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on, on that first section first.
0: Right. So would you say that you looking at, I mean, I guess we could take banking applications as a good example, because I think everyone would get that the security risk there. Would you say that when you're pen testing an app, are you pen testing it to see if that gives you an avenue into the infrastructure behind it as opposed to essentially just breaking the app. And, you know, if it was a banking app, you could pull out the data from the app. What is that? What are you looking for there?
1: So it can be both, but as I said, it, it tends to, um, it has to be whatever makes sense for the client. Right. So um, a large banking like, you know, company um they're, they're going to be less interested in attacking the infrastructure from the app. Right. Because, you know The way that it tends to, to work, obviously, is you have the one team that is developing the application, another team handles the infrastructure. So the infrastructure team, you know, they, they will get a pen test on the infrastructure and how that works. The application team will get the, the pen test on the application. Um, so when we're looking at the app just in isolation, it doesn't really make sense to start looking at the infrastructure because that's kind of handled by, by like a different team. So we'll look at the app and we'll look for ways that someone might be able to abuse the app. For example, whether they can, um, you know, take money from people's accounts or whether they can have um, maybe even as I mentioned malware before. But, you know, can I install some malware that, that will uh, kind of interact with the app, pull data out of it as an attacker? Am I, be, am I able to um, exploit the application to access the application sandbox, for example? Uh, yeah. But I mean, as you said, it is also important that we do look at the infrastructure as well. And sometimes the two can be you know, tied together. Um, it really just depends on kind of what makes sense for the, the, the customer at the time. So we will work with them to help them understand exactly what it is that they need so that they can focus on like looking at the parts that are relevant at that time.
0: The fact that you said banking is interesting because I've worked with people that have worked for banks, at least previously to IR thirty five, they used to hire a lot of contractors. And um they've talked about, you know, they had to build keyboards for banking applications because they were afraid of using third party keyboards and stuff. So that that makes a lot of sense. So then in that situation, what would you say is and maybe iOS and Android are different, but what would you say is the biggest attack surface that somebody would have in terms of mobile apps?
1: Well, I, I think for both iOS and, and Android it is it is pretty similar. Um and again, it's about this, this idea, you know, what, what can someone do in order to learn about the system? So, you know, because the application itself, you know, is going to be able to make these requests. And so it's trying to figure out how those things are happening and what kind of protections are in place. Um, you know, is it just sending an identifier? You know, maybe it will, might take you six months to be able to actually look at the, the network traffic because there are so many protections on place. But once you do it, uh, can you just change the ID and then you know transfer money from other people's accounts? So that tends to be the big thing. It's the it's the kind of the protection of the um, either of like the API that the apps connect to, or it's about the data, the security of the data that's running, on, like on the device. You know, is it running a um that you know is is it just containing the user's password, for example? Uh and I've actually I've, I do actually have a story about this one, like um. Uh, this was on a pen test I did quite a few few years back, but it was for for another bank and it was actually a bank that that was outside of the u k um and they had the, the a mobile app and they had this like bluetooth um card reader right so the idea was that if you 're in a shop um the the uh the the retailer could have this system to like take card payments and stuff. No, like we've seen this quite a lot nowadays, but this was kind of as that, that kind of thing was, was starting to become popular. So this is
0: like an early evolution of Apple Pay or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, Bluetooth device, phone over the, the internet, so someone can make a card payment. And um, one of the, so this the application was, was actually written by a third party, right, to the bank. And one of the, the key requirements that the bank had was to make sure that the username and password was not stored inside the application at any point. Um, and we started to analyze the app, and of course, the username and password were stored within the application sandbox. And I mean, there's a few ways to, to access it. You know, during our testing, we found that we could, you know, perform like, backups of the of the device and that stuff to, to get it. But the coolest, the coolest uh, kind of exploit that that I discovered, though, is we managed to make a um, a fake card that we could scan, and that card had a uh, had a JavaScript payload. And when when we scan the card, the JavaScript payload um, was executed on the phone and the phone was using a web view to the, to display the details. So the JavaScript was executed. The JavaScript was executed within the context of the phone, uh, within the application. So it could read the data from the application sandbox and then we could exfiltrate that to our service. Oh, so the idea is you walk into a shop with like a fake card, um, tap it on the device and then, and then now you've got the the banking password of the of the the shop.
0: That's crazy. Okay,
1: it was it was really cool. Like, not many of our tests are kind of as, as as cool as that. I think, but that was one that sticks in my head as being like particularly interesting, just because there were like a number of flaws. You know, as I said, one, the password was stored within the phone. So the question is, how do we access that? And then there's two. Okay, so there's a web view in use with JavaScript enabled. And three that we were able to get JavaScript running within that web web view by by kind of injecting this da- this data to it because it was just displaying that. And and like, yeah, a, a normal cross-site scripting vulnerability, but in a mobile app.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. How do you even make a card like that?
1: Um, we we had a few different ways. You can get like um, NFC devices that will kind of spoof cards and things like that. But the, the company I worked at at the time, I'm actually doing lots and lots of research into that kind of thing. They're a little bit off topic here, but one of the, the guys that had this... Uh, had this card that he actually found loads of exploits um, of vulnerabilities inside actual card readers. So ones that you just see in the shop. So, you know, if you're in like, you know, the supermarket or whatever, and where you put your card in, he actually managed to find a load of exploits for those. And so he had his, uh, his, this special debit card that he made that he could put into one of these machines. And then the game would start playing on that device. Like this racing car game. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 I know it was, I remember seeing that when I was like, I just started working there. This one time I was, um, I was in the. We went to the shops together, and he paid for his stuff just before me. I was like, I don't re- really want to pay for my my <laughs> thing." In there. I know that he's, he's got this special card, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, like it, it was a cool thing. So the company I worked at, we did a lot of work into card readers and things, uh, things like that. The the other way that that you can test this stuff is like so. I, I've done this before, not with with the card, but this was another Bluetooth device we were looking at. We want to look at the traffic between um, the Bluetooth device and the phone. Uh, and there's this, um, this tool called Frida that I use that lets you hook the application. You can change how it works at runtime. So all I did is I is I hooked the Bluetooth receive method and I could just change the data that was coming in. So more like simulating a malicious Bluetooth device. Uh, and that, that's the approach that I tend to use when, when kind of looking at kind of how the applications communicate with the outside world. You know, if I can hook it and then I can almost inject my own data in and, and kind of simulate kind of a malicious Bluetooth device or malicious NFC um, or, or something like that.
0: Your um, work experience already sounds way better than mine. <laughs> the coolest thing that happens at my work is, you know, someone shows you a piece of code and they're like, look how clean this is.
1: Well, I mean, that, that's kind of cool too. And, and I will be honest, I miss that in, in a way. I Do mentioned you, that yeah. I used to be a software developer and there's something nice about making things. A lot of my job is breaking stuff. Um, and even saying that, you know, the pen test itself, it's only really as as important as, as the report, so if the report that I write is no good, then actually the pen test itself was kind of useless. If I can't convey to the the, the, like the user like what what the point is of what I'm doing is. So a lot of it it is unfortunate. it sounds kind of cool, but a lot of it is just writing reports, to be honest. There's more more to that than I kind of thought I thought there would be at the beginning.
0: All right. I feel a bit better about my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So something else that I wanted to ask you then is what are some, I suppose, common things that you see that, you know, developers or companies make that are straight away when you start your pen test, super obvious, this is a problem.
1: Um, For mobile apps, do you mean, specifically? Yeah. 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 Um. So the big thing that I saw at the beginning was the idea that a mobile app is different, right? So... There's all these, these vulnerabilities that people are really kind of aware of. So SQL injection, cross-site scripting, all those ones. Um, and then when mobile phones started to be used more and apps became kind of a common thing, it's almost like developers forgot about those because it's a different platform, right? Android apps can still be vulnerable to cross-site scripting because they have a database. We We know how to protect against... Oh, sorry, they, they can be... Uh, I meant to say SQL injection. Uh, they can be run to, yeah, to SQL injection because they have a database. Um, but it's almost like when people start thinking about it in a different context, start thinking about mobile phones, they just didn't think about it in the same way. Um, and yeah, cross-site scripting as well. Web views are in use, so cross-site scripting attacks are still something that is is important to think about. And I remember looking at... I, I do a lot of, of just kind of... I like to take random apps and and, and you know try and, and look for vulnerabilities uh assuming that is within the the bounds of of law uh which it usually is when it's with like, either there's a bug bounty or if it's just an offline app i remember looking at one when i was i mean uh, when i was just getting into kind of mobile testing uh and it let you like basically you set like a username or something and it set it to the server and then it displayed it on like a board and everyone on the app could um, like see each other's messages and stuff like that. And that was runnable to, to cross that scripting just because it was a web view, right? That's been loaded. So I could set a, and I didn't do this because this would have been um, kind of beyond what was legally allowed, but I could have set a, a message or username with a with JavaScript payload and then started to exploit everyone's phone. And at that time, it was possible to get full command execution on an Android device using just uh, a JavaScript payload. So in theory, anyone that had the app installed, I could have taken over the, the whole phone. Um, so, yeah, a lot of it is just being aware of the stuff that we already try to, to talk about when we're talking about web applications. And then the other part is is just kind of being aware that if someone has the, your app installed on their phone, they have full control, full control over how that works. So uh, this other pen test I was doing, um, it was for a, an application that let... People like view video, but you you weren't allowed to display that video on like an external device, right? So you couldn't like cast the video, and I think this was because of licensing issues or something like that. Um, And so I was playing around, and I noticed that I wasn't allowed. Like it said to me, you know, you can't do this. So I used Frida and I hooked the application and I disabled that security control, and then I was able to like play video on external devices like cast it and things because you're basically just you hook the function and you just make it return like false all the time. And I I just kind of did that because I thought it'd be kind of fun and put in the pen test report because I'd have like a a picture of me like show like playing the video on the screen. And I mentioned this to the client almost in passing while I was still doing the rest of the test. And it was a big deal. They're like, what, you can do that? And then I had to talk to all the developers and things. Now, that's something that I wouldn't necessarily as kind of an external person really think about, but um, it was an important control that they put in place. And so being aware that any security control that's running on the device can be broken, uh, I think that's the other thing that is really important to think about when you're the developer. Have, have
0: you heard of, ice? well, I assume, but I don't want to assume, have you heard of Exposed on Android? Yeah. yeah so yeah. is Frida kind of that similar
1: very similar thing so exposed is um is actually a tool that i use quite a lot um i prefer frida because it's a lot quicker to develop so frida lets you with with exposed you you normally have to like reboot the device every time you you modify the hook um with frida it's just instant so you can even just you, you basically you just save the file and then the, it, that's the new hook so it's really good for kind of like doing things rapidly exposed is really good for doing things permanently
0: so the last time I did, I did anything with Exposed was probably 2014, 15, something like that. At, at that time, I had an app that was kind of popular. And um, on the same forum, uh, so i had posted it on XDA developers and people were leaving comments and stuff. And in that same thread, someone had left uh, a link to an Exposed module that they'd made to basically not have to pay for my app. Um, <laughs> which was, on, on the one hand, I was like, all right, well, like, well done, you did it, so great. And then on the other hand, I, I emailed the guy who had created Exposed at the time. And I was like, is there anything I could do about this? And he came back and he was like, yeah, it works like this. You can do this, this and this. Um, and that was a long time ago. And after about three months, you know, they changed things. Suddenly your protections don't work anymore. And I gave up trying to, trying to like do this back and forth. Because in my mind, it was like, there's no point. It's fine. There's there's a handful of people that are going to do that regardless. But I haven't looked at that in a long time. So are there any things that you can do now to protect yourself from that kind of thing. Cuz I think back in the day also part of it was obfuscation where if you didn't know what to hook then it made it a lot harder for you to do those things.
1: Yeah, so there are a few things you can do, but again it's all stuff that's running on the device. And so with, you know, with with banking apps especially, I, I always do kind of recommend that they, they look at some of these controllers so that they they can do obfuscation, right? And if obfuscation is done well, it can take a significant amount of effort to try and figure out what it is that you want to hook. The last banking app I looked at, actually, um, I think it took me um, a week or so just to just to kind of figure things out because they were doing like all all strings were encrypted. Like there was all this like code flow obfuscation of uh, every variable name is basically called a. So you're like package name a <laughs> uh, variable a. Um, so it becomes like a real, a real pain. And I actually I had to use like more dynamic methods. So I actually had to uh, like attach a debugger to it. Um, to try and f- like follow the the flow, I was actually trying to use some things to try and hook the like string methods to try and decrypt them. It was a, a, like a, it was horrible.
0: Which is the intention, right? They want to make it really difficult for someone that they might give up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um. So, but there are other things you can do. You can you know for for Frida and for exposed, you can look for the presence of those things. So Frida, when it works, it injects um this library into like the shared object into the the binary. So if you can look at what Objects your application is loaded if you see the Frida one there then you just you kind of error out the same with exposed You can see um, you can you can detect usually whether uh, like exposed is being used so if you have that If and if you have obfuscation and if you do the same for root or jailbreak detection You can start to kind of layer these controls together so that actually, you know So defeating jailbreak detection is super easy defeating jailbreak detection and obfuscation that's gonna be a lot harder because I can't use the same I can't use my dynamic tools to help me with the obfuscation if I can't run them because they need root. So the two of the things that kind of work together. And then of course you have you you add um kind of hook detection onto that. And now all of a sudden I can't, you know, I can't run on a rooted device. I can't use exposed. I can't Easily obfuscate it, so I can't, you know, disable those controls even once I find them. Eventually, yes, you'll be able to do it, but it'll take a lot of effort. So that that's really the the kind of the the way you try to defeat these things. And to give it some kind of perspective, one of the the banks that I was working at, I was doing some pen testing for, they put a lot of effort into this stuff, as I said, and it took somebody, uh, I think, a full year to be able to interact with the API. Yeah, I think this person they were trying to do they were trying to make like a like all in one banking app so they could use like all the different banking things, and yeah, it took them it took them off a full year just to be able to interact with the API and the the bank themselves actually the API was uh, kind of encrypted uh, on top of normal TLS encryption they actually had their own encryption on that so then okay so a year to be able to to like reverse it enough and and change the controls in order to do it and then you've got to figure out how their API works now we had the custom tools to to do that because we could talk to them and see how they were like how that works so we we made um, have you heard of burp suite no so Burp Suite is, is a proxy, kind of like Fiddler. If you've ever okay. used that, yeah, Fiddler, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like that, but it has the ability to you can write your own like plugins and things. So you know, we so we were working with the bank to understand how the the kind of the uh, encryption and stuff worked because it was this like, horrible custom like protocol they were using. But then we could write a a plugin uh, for for Burp Suite to allow us to kind of. Like view that stuff, but trying to do that all black box, like first be able to actually interact with the API, then interact with that. You know, it would it would take a like a significant amount of time. And like for one, if I if I'm not being paid for it, I cannot be bothered to put that much effort into interacting (laughs) with with a banking app.
0: So that's super interesting. The thing that is it keeps coming to me though is the bottom line is at the end of the day, it can always always be beaten, right? Like whatever you put in place, there's not going to be a situation where it's like this is this is the thing. It's never going to be beaten. Especially because if you tower it like that, I could imagine, you know, somebody will say today, I've created this thing. It can never be beaten. Tomorrow, somebody's going to beat it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you should never say um, something is unhackable. Uh, people have made that mistake in the past. I don't know if, if you saw, but uh, I think like last year, um, what, what was it called? Bit- BitFi, which was this um, this like Bitcoin wallet. Uh, They they claim that they were unhackable, and the hacker community just just completely destroyed them. It's a challenge, challenge. yeah. But it's the same for everything, right? So, um, you know, even like you know, let's take a company like Google, right? Massive company, massive budget. They're still running servers. The server is going to be vulnerable. Like maybe not easily, but if you can spend enough time and effort on it you're about to find some kind of vulnerability, you know, the operating systems themselves, you know, have have issues. So I I do try to recommend like a layered approach as well. So like a defense in depth. So we can, we can say like, okay, let's assume that this control gets broken. What else is is there to do? Uh, Because, you know, it, for for a lot of companies, it doesn't make sense to try and protect yourself against nation states. You no, know, I, I I run a security company. If China or Russia wanted to hack me, they could do it, right? Because the, the amount of the amount it would cost me to be protected against those adversaries, I don't have. Like I don't have the budget for that. So I need to think about what makes sense, um, and then try and protect myself from those things you know, Google probably do need to worry about China hacking them. So they're going to have more, more like security in place and they will add these layers. So yeah, that, that's kind of why I tend to say to, to people, you know, like, yes, a lot of the controls can be broken, especially when they're client-side controls. But, you know, how much effort do you want to put in? Try and figure that out. Then you can figure out your budget. Then you figure out like how much dev time, for example, to, to implement these things. You know, as I said, for like, for some apps, it, it probably doesn't make sense to add... All this stuff, you know, if if it's an open source application, for example, like an Android app, don't spend time with obfuscation. What's the point? The source code is, is available. You know, spend the time instead to make sure that there's no vulnerabilities in that in that code.
0: Yeah, that that was the deal with me. I gave up after a bit because I was just like, "There's just there's <laughs> no point." You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not Google, and I'm not even making a living from this app. So what, what am I doing?
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: So I guess another question is. And this would be kind of interesting is what what's kind of the state of mobile OS security right now? Because, you know, you hear year upon year, you know, back in the day, Android was not great. And then, you know, they, they added SE Linux and then they added sandbox in and all these different things that you hear about. And, you know, when you hear it, it's like, well, obviously now it's impossible to, for people to do things. And it's obviously not, but how much has it improved over time? And kind of, I, I guess, like, where are we at now? Is it still... I don't. I don't want to say is it still super vulnerable because the answer is obviously going to be it's not unhackable. But like, what what's the general state there?
1: So I think pretty good to be honest. Uh, I mentioned a bit earlier, but you know, speaking about how things were back in the day, um, th- th- there were issues where, as I said, like someone could take over your full device if they can inject some JavaScript into it, and what that realistically meant was that you could take over any device because. Like all these applications, even if they weren't making kind of HTTP requests, they usually had adverts in them that were, right? So you, you have your phone, you connect to a open Wi-Fi network, like a hotel or, or whatever, um, and there'll be like an advert somewhere on the device that will make an HTTP request. And so you, so you could uh, do a man-in-the-middle attack, add some JavaScript into that because those, those adverts are usually just web views uh run, run the JavaScript get full control of, of the device so that's how things were right right they, they were pretty bad the controls that were to try and like keep your application secure as well were, were not great so you know like things like the uh when you write your Android app and you, know, you have the Android manifest a lot of the things by default now are disabled whereas in the past by default they were all enabled right so like all these um know, activities and things were all just enabled, like, you know, exported by default. So you could uh, have malware that would, for, for example, let's say that you did have a banking app or something that had a, a like you need to enter a PIN code to access it. It was really easily from, easy from a low privileged malware to just jump to the like second screen in the process of bypassing the need for the PIN. You know, th- this is the stuff that the, the operating system did wrong at the beginning. Nowadays, though, there are... I think they're doing a lot of things right. So both in terms of kind of user experience, but obviously with security as well. So, you know, you, you at least I'm not aware of any way to um to to be honest, even even do a man in the middle attack um without a lot of kind of interaction. So with the newer versions of Android, you you know, you can't even if you, you install a uh kind of a malicious cert on the device. It's it's, it's going to be in the user store and applications by by default won't even trust any cert that's in the user store. So, you know, they have put a lot of effort into making things like significantly difficult to attack. Yeah, it's just, and and that makes it harder for me as well as a pen tester because I need to have special devices set up in special ways. Sometimes I even need to go to like older devices because, you know, they are a bit weaker so that I can start to analyze the applications and stuff. But yeah there are a lot of a lot of things that they're doing to make things more secure and yeah it's never gonna be perfect. you're still gonna see probably still gonna be see stories about you know a vulnerability in like Bluetooth or something, but you know that will be that' be a vulnerability in the the chip that is is running like used for bluetooth or or in at least somewhere in that stack and and that's gonna be something that takes someone a lot of effort to to look for They're gonna have to start like performing fuzzing attacks and you know, spend time to try and do that. Um, whereas before, yeah, I mean, it's just a case of, hey, an application is, is making an HTTP request. Let's, you know, hack the whole phone. <laughs> so...
0: I would be surprised if there wasn't a bug uh, or there wasn't a vulnerability in Bluetooth because yeah. in general, it's a horrible experience. Yeah,
1: it, there was one that came up, um, I don't know, I think maybe a year ago or something. Uh, I've not tried to exploit it myself, but there was a vulnerability that I've heard about that let someone, I think it, it was actually get like root like a root shell on an Android phone just by exploiting some of the Bluetooth stuff. So yeah, that kind of stuff will happen, but it's going to be things that are kind of, well, it's going to be things that are harder to exploit, but also probably higher risk because like all the low hanging fruit really is kind of, you know, disappearing if not gone. So the stuff that is left is the stuff that's really hard to find, but in order to make it worthwhile, it's going to be the stuff that's like pretty high risk as well makes sense.
0: So would it be accurate, I mean I'm hoping not, but would it be accurate to say that iOS is more secure than an Android device or not? <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I'm going by I'm going by headlines and everyone that I work with that's not an Android
1: developer so. So my pragmatic answer to this is that iOS is not more secure if you compare like to like. Uh, and by that what I mean is is the big problem with Android is it's so fragmented right you you buy a phone you don't know whether it's going to be supported in a year's time you don't know if you're going to be getting security fixes some people are still using even android 2 you know there are all these devices out there so when you say like like android you you have to kind of think of all these together so from that perspective yeah you know android is less secure but if you if you take the newest version of um of iOS against the newest version of of android assuming that they're both all up to date Uh, I would say they're pretty comparable with, again, with a caveat there in that Android is designed usually to be a bit more available for a power user, right? So for a lot of the devices, you're allowed to root them. You're you're allowed to get kind of high-level privileges. You're allowed to do lots of these things, whereas iOS make that almost impossible, which again, in terms of of me being a a pen tester with these devices, I've actually got a... um, an iPhone here that's jailbroken, uh, I can never turn that phone off because every time I turn it off, the jailbreak gets lost. So I've got to have it plugged in and powered on always. And then, you know, if someone asks me to do a pen test, i am like, yeah, okay, I can do it. And I get the device out because you need to like, you, you need to um to, like, to jailbreak it. It's such a I don't know if you've ever tried to jailbreak break a, an iPhone before. Not since like
0: iPhone five or
1: something. Okay, so it's it's like unpleasant, and all the tools keep breaking because um you know they're they're being kind of developed by different people, and these people might get like bored, or Apple would change something, and the tool will break, and the person that have come to fix it. So. It's it's a it's a it's a nightmare and because of that. It can be a bit harder to 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 probe the devices. So I think that's another reason why iOS kind of gets the reputation for being a bit more secure, just because they don't let people do things. So and I can think about Android. If I wanted to look for a vulnerability in the Bluetooth stack, you know, it'd be easy for me to get root. Easy for me to get fuzzing. Like in order to look for vulnerabilities, a lot of the code is open source. I you know I, I can do that stuff and I can find vulnerabilities a bit easier iPhone, this becomes a bit more of a a challenge. Yeah, not impossible, just a challenge.
0: So, really, a big part of that is because Apple controls the environment, right? Whereas Android, you know, you can install Android on whatever you want, basically. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's still like HTC ones or whatever they are out there running Android. So, and it's
1: a scary thought, right? Yeah, 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 (laughs) totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, one other thing that I wanted to ask is: so, I remember back in the day, I'm talking like. 2013 2014 before whatsapp was you know super duper popular there was this exploit that was because whatsapp was passwordless your phone number was your your username Mm -hmm. and your password was your ime i number hashed right so there was a website you could go in and you could put on yours or someone else's phone number and ime i number and now you can read the messages you could send messages from them and that website was up for a while like i don't know 6 or 12 months afterwards it was still there and then obviously now people are a lot more aware but are there any you know big potentially in recent memory exploits that you've heard of popular apps that people might not be aware of
1: um nothing that i can think of that people wouldn't be aware of as i said things things tend to be a bit different nowadays um yeah i wish i i wish i had a a cool story like that one to be honest uh I, everything that i'm seeing is it really is stuff that is kind of like di- difficult to exploit yeah, I mean the things I I kind of do see sometimes is like again if you think about gaming where somebody will manage to um like get the name to like the the first place on like some leaderboard just because they can change the traffic and things like that. But no, no nothing as cool as being able to to view people's um kind of uh, WhatsApp messages just like we're going to a website. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy.
0: All right, well, I suppose that's a good thing. So we're going in the right yeah. direction. So you, so you mentioned earlier that you you are developing a tool for scanning vulnerabilities that can be run on a CI. So do you want to speak a little bit about that and kind of what is it and how does it work and
1: that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So this is called Rex, uh, we're calling it, for no reason other than just we kind of like dinosaurs in the office. Cool, me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> cool. And yeah, like, as I said, I've been doing pen testing for, for a while and I, I tend to focus on mobile applications. And one thing that I noticed, so security itself, I think has this issue where, um, you know, we are very much like man, we do things manually, like we're manual testers. And when I was starting digital interruption in my company, I went to a few like QA testing events just because I had this opinion at the time that there was like a hierarchy, right? That was pen tester at the top, of course then developer and then QA tester. Which is funny because you speak to the developer, they say that they're at the top, you speak yeah. to the QA tester, they say they're at the top. But I had I had this in my head. And I I, I don't like to, to just um have these kind of like unfounded opinions. So I went to a couple of these QA testing events. And what I realized is they are miles ahead of security when it comes to ways to do testing, right? They like the automation that they're doing is amazing. Like they were demonstrating this custom these custom tools they were writing to do, run these test cases. And it just it kind of opened my mind. I thought, why are we still doing it like so manually in, in security? And I, I kind of do remember, you know, I, I was talking to some like um when I worked at a previously couple of previous had been doing in-house security with them. I was trying to help some of the teams there. I was like, "Oh yeah, just try and run some of these security tools and give me the results." And it was like a hard thing to do, you know. Like the, the security tools are really kind of antique in a way, you know, like all these weird command line interfaces. It's like just not intuitive. They don't fit into kind of any kind of workflow except the pen testers' workflow. So, so going to, to some of these events um, and seeing how advanced like they were um, when it comes to to like ways to test, I started thinking, okay, well, actually. We can improve this in security, so we are writing this vulnerability scanner, and the idea is you know, rather than just being some weird command line interface that no one knows how to use, um, it's going to have well, it has a web like a web application front end. So if you want, you can just upload the APK. It will do the scan. It will give you the results. Um, but more importantly uh it actually has uh, a Jenkins plugin so you can plug that into your 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 build pipeline you get in that visibility every single time you 're doing a, doing a build which again that 's another weakness with pen testing as it is you know it, pen testing is a single point in time when you do a pen test, you have no idea whether you know you fix a vulnerability is it being reintroduced is it going to be there like next you just have no idea like you know what the issues are right now whereas this you know the idea is that yeah, you're getting that visibility every single time you do your scan. So when you start to fix vulnerabilities, you start to to know that they're fixed. It's going to check them every single time. You know that it's no longer there. And also, we also have a um, an API for it as well. So even even if you have whatever software you're using for for CI, then you can fairly easily just write like a wrapper to, to, to like submit jobs and get results and stuff. That, that's version one. That is actually uh, almost released. It is a uh, a SaaS tool that we're hosting, but the idea is we want it to be like so cheap that companies, you know, will just use it because, you know, they are getting some kind of like benefit from it. And um, we're going to be looking at like free options in the future as well. Like maybe for like open source tools or maybe for like a certain number of scans. Uh, we're still kind of like thinking about that. Um, but the first version is, is is kind of already out there. We actually got a, uh, a grant from Innovate UK to to help us develop that. So with that grant, we're going to be looking at version two and version two of the app. We actually want to be able to allow people to make their own test cases. So version one, you know, is just a vulnerability scanner. You know, it will look for the issues that we've already told it about. With version two, we want people to be able to make their own test cases really, really easily. So the idea is, you know, maybe you do get a pen test, but you want to be able to turn those into like test cases that will automatically be run with Rex. Um, Maybe even as a company, you start to build up a repository of all these test cases based on, you know, you get a pen test report for one app. Well, actually, we can take those, take those test cases and apply it to the other app. Um, So so that's kind of where we we want to get to. And that's what we'll be working on over the next few months. So but, you know, we, we we do have licenses for people if they do want to, kind of get involved and help us, help shape it, see how you know, give us some some feedback would be awesome. So even if any of your listeners or even yourself, if if you are, if that sounds like something that would be useful, let me know and, and I, I'll get someone to uh, reach out and, and get some licenses over.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Is there somewhere people could go now to have a look?
1: Um, no, unfortunately. Um, I think we've got some information on our, on our website, but you know, we are really just kind of getting that all together. The, 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 the scanner, um, is at, uh, rex.digitalinterruption.com. But you, you know, you need a login at the moment. And, and the, like, as we do testing, we'll be creating accounts for people. So the, the best thing to do is, is email me at, uh, jamal at digitalinterruption.com
0: yeah I'll, fr- I'll throw you in the email in the show notes no worries
1: I'll, or, reach, or if anyone can reach out on like linkedin or twitter or whatever i'm usually like i'm fairly easy to find to be honest
0: yeah i found i found you on twitter so yeah should, okay should
1: good
0: <laughs> yeah quick question about that so in terms of vulnerabilities is it a pre-made suite of tests that it runs or do you write your own like how does how does that work what is it scanning for
1: so at the moment it's a it's a preset you know list of funds and we use um, we use uh, kind of two different methods we use SAST and DAST. So SAST you give it the application it will like decompile it basically and it will look for patterns and it will look for security weaknesses that way. Um, and the other way DAST is dynamic. So dynamic application security testing. So it will actually it runs an emulator throws the application on there, like, executes it, um, and then we do some ana- analysis that way. So at the moment, yeah, that, that, that's that's kind of what it's doing, and it's only looking for our predefined vulnerabilities, whereas, as I said, version two, that is really what we're going to start pushing, the idea that people can create their own kind of test cases and plug that in. We want to have a really slick interface for it as well. Again, like, no more horrible command line things but we either want to have some kind of language that people can write the test cases or even better, like a GUI. I think I'd love to have a GUI where you can just kind of drag like things together and then you create your test case that way. So so that's what we're looking at next. And, And as I said, that's what we're using the innovate UK funding for.
0: Yeah. That sounds awesome. Like I've worked at a bunch of companies that have no idea about security at all. And just even like version one, having that in your pipeline, is way more than anybody else that I've worked with does. So.
1: Oh, cool. And I would even say for some companies, you know, like, obviously I'm, I'm a pen tester. I'm going to say, everyone should get a pen test. Come to me and get a pen test. Uh, but the reality is a lot of companies, they might be okay with just having the vulnerability scan. You know, if it's a very low risk application or if it's an internal application or something, you know what? Get the vulnerability scan. It'll cost like a tenner you get the results, you fix it up, and then you're happy with it. You know the high high risk stuff. Yeah, maybe you still do want to get the kind of the manual pen test, but you know, for a lot of companies, I would much rather than just do a scan, fix up the the low hanging fruit, and then and then release that uh, rather than than do nothing.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So last two questions that I ask everybody. The first one, and it counts because you did do software engineering before this, is uh-huh. is um. What do you think separates a okay developer from a great developer?
1: Hmm. I think um, willingness to to listen and to learn. To be honest, the, the best developers I've worked with, maybe not even the like the technically best, but develop the best products are the ones that you know will, will take my feedback as a pen tester. Who will, yeah, like less ego. That, that I think that that tends to be what I've seen. To be honest.
0: I felt I felt like it might go in the direction of communication.
1: <laughs> communication is super important.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting though because sometimes the quote unquote best developers are not the best developers. You can't work with them because they don't know how to communicate. So
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. I had this this one dude I used to work with when I was a software engineer. A young guy, but uh, he just wanted. He wanted to change everything All the time Because <laughs> uh, he was so technical It's like oh yeah We should do it this way And in his mind He's like rewriting everything We're like okay But the rest of the team Can't do that nor does it make sense because we're just going to end up the same place we are now.
0: <laughs> totally. That's like when people at companies that I worked for start talking to me about, you know, login and stuff like that. I was like, I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. Like, tell me what you're trying to say in English and I'll tell yeah. you how to do it. Um, so last question, what What machine do you use to work from?
1: <laughs> I have a few, to be honest. For my normal day-to-day stuff, I, I have a, um, a, a Huawei running Windows um, so that's, that's like two like, big crosses for security <laughs> right there. But it's a nice laptop, and uh, as I said, like, I'm doing lots of like businessy things. So having the ability to just e- like easily work with other people um, is, is kind of trumped everything. Uh, I also have a, a Linux laptop, um, and I use that. It's, it's a Dell XPS. I use that for like, personal things and also for, for when I need to, to like, use Linux. I do prefer to do Linux, I've been using Linux for maybe 15 years, and I think it's a, a better OS. Uh, but saying that, now that there's the Windows subsystem for Linux stuff on Windows, it makes it a bit easier to, to use that stuff as well. Um, I've also got like a Mac floating around somewhere, you know, I've got, i basically got at least one of everything because eventually i'll need it on a pen test <laughs>
0: yeah gotcha that makes sense you've got like, a <laughs> bunch of different machines is is the huawei the matebook yeah yeah, yeah matebook pro yeah. all right nice. Yeah, i've seen that. It's about cool so then i guess the last thing is where can i direct people like where where can people find you where can people find your company all that good stuff
1: so um website is good digitalinterruption.com yeah i'm on twitter at uh j harris underscore sec I'm uh, I I run a group in Manchester called Manchester Grey Hats, um, Manchester UK, obviously, uh, where we run well before before COVID anyway. We we run like lots of free workshops for people, teaching them how to hack websites, how to hack mobile devices, um, how to use Frida. How to hack radio things i, I love like sdr okay. so like hacking radio waves teach all, all this stuff and all for free and just because i to i like some more great and guests i like on the make stuff. sure i have more um, great content so Manchester house we have a the slack meantime, we have twitter as I'm well so you, you know re- people can find me on most places
0: big thanks to today's sharing guest with jamel you, harris you can find him on linkedin on twitter at j harris underscore sec you can find his cybersecurity company at digitalinterruption.com and if you're interested in using Rex, send an email to rex at digitalinterruption.com. Real, As always, you can find everything we talked about in this episode so. in the show notes. If you like the show, tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. It's much my appreciated. Shows, and if you really like the show, you can support it with so a coffee far. donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash coffee. And this is definitely Caffeine one Caffeine is literally what fuels so this enjoy. podcast. If you'd like to connect with like-minded developers, you can do so in our Facebook community. And finally, you can follow me on your favorite social media platform at Low Carb Rob. You can find all the links to everything I've just said in the show notes or at coffeeencodingpod.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.